All right, everybody, welcome to Emerald Inc. This is our show on Twitter Spaces where we talk about Lorcana Live. And we have a very special guest with us, and that is going to be Disney Lorcana Dad. We're adding him in here so he can join us as a speaker. But welcome, everybody. It's so glad to have everyone here on this week's show. And we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff. The idea this week is if you are a listener, we are going to be talking about tips and tricks for people who are just getting their feet wet with Lorcana as their very first trading card game. So uh, Disney Lorcana Dad is going to be joining us and talking about ways to not necessarily get scammed and things to avoid when you're looking online for different kinds of discounts or deals or things of that nature. And there's a, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. So let me check here. While we're waiting for that, welcome everybody. If you're uh, listening during the live show, we actually would love to interact with our community in real time. So if you have got a question, if you've got a comment, uh, feel free to post it in the chat and we will talk about it during the course of the show. If you're listening in post where we've uh, made this a podcast, it's going to be on like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. We still want to hear from you, the listener. So please feel free to post a question. Let us know what you want to hear about our topics of discussion for a future episode in the comments, in the chat, wherever you are. Here we go. All right, there we go. Disney Dad is here. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Sorry, that was... Um, I'm using my phone, so the, the computer uh, didn't want to let me click on anything other than listen, so I will switch over to my phone. Hopefully this is clear enough and you guys can hear me. Oh, you sound amazing. So how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing really, really well. So uh, let's let's talk about this topic that you suggested for people who are diving into Lorcana as their first trading card game. And things to avoid, scams to watch out for, and just kind of some some good overall general tips and tricks because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out really soon with Lorcana like two months away from launch. Yeah, um, so I think the, the most important thing, so for me, this is my first TCG. Um, I am more of a tabletop board game player. That's kind of my background. Um, and then I actually found out about Lorcana through the D23 Expo last year, because I'm a D23 member, um, and I'm a huge Disney nerd, so that's kind of where I first was exposed to it. Um, And, you know, initially there wasn't a whole lot of information, there was just like the seven cards that came out at the Expo, and so I kind of was in the background lurking, and then in January when the IGN article came out, it kind of reignited my interest in it, and I kind of dive. I kind of dove in with both feet, um, and have kind of really been involved. And at the onset, there didn't seem like a lot of places for people that weren't as familiar with TCGs or were newer to TCGs to kind of go and get information um, in a maybe non-judgmental way. And that's not to say that other content creators are a little bit uh, are are going to do that. But there is certainly a learning curve, and I, I think that's where I kind of wanted to step in and and uh, plant my flag as far as content creation goes. So I think the biggest key for people coming into a TCG game um, like Lorcana is to do your research and really leverage your resources that are out there um, to either make you a better player or to kind of help you figure out you know, how to play the game. So um, obviously uh, Lorcania.com is a huge reference. They're really, really good. And they're kind of a nice 
gathering point for content creators. Um, and as we've started seeing, there's more, there's probably new content creators coming out every single day for Disney Lorcana. Um, and, and really kind of fine tuning which ones that you want to look at, which ones are valuable to you, um, and maybe which ones are a little bit more past your learning curve at the moment. Um, because there are certainly a lot of great content creators out there that are very high level in what they do and, and what they explain and what their angle is. And I think if you kind of dive into some of those things way too early, it can really either discourage you from playing or turn you off to the game entirely, which um, I think is kind of a, a hard balance to have when you're a content creator. And I think that there's enough people out there that have their role and know what their role is in the community that, that makes it all worthwhile. And we all work together. Um, I've worked with some amazing content creators in the past that are a hundred times smarter than I am. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of helped me become a better player and, and helped me learn the game a little bit better. So that's where I would start. Um, it's just kind of looking at resources out there and figuring out what is important for you and what you want to get out of it. Um, long-term as far as, you know, do you want to be a competitive player? Do you want to be a casual player? Do you want to just have this as something fun to play with your family um, and go from there? Yeah, it's a very open-ended hobby because there's the the standard issue collector. They're just going to collect cards. They're not really going to play. You have the casual player who just wants to play with their friends. Maybe they play casually at their local store, but generally they're kind of that that home home player. You're going to play on coffee tables and you know, with your with your buddies after work or after, you know, club night or whatever. And then you have the people who play in the uh, competitive realm, and they are the smallest sect of any trading card game. Although we are the loudest and the most pronounced because we're the people you see at game stores, we're the people you see on articles and YouTube videos, we are absolutely the smallest slice of that pie. The casual player and the collector outnumber us probably a good two or three to one uh, but they're not necessarily trying to get attention or participate in national or world level events they just want to play for fun and every single person who participates in any hobby of any nature you get to kind of figure out that particular space that you are in that you want to be in and at any point you can pivot quite easily there's lots of collectors who pivot to being players or people who decide you know, maybe I'm a little burnt out on playing, but I still love the cards and the art, so I'm just going to collect. So there's no shame. There's no, you know, down downplaying on, oh, you know, I'm one and not the other, or I'm, you know, I started here and I shifted over here over time. That's kind of the fun of any hobby. You get to pick what you want to do and when you want to do it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and for me, you know, I came from, like I said, from board games, and I'm a pretty big Disney collector as far as art and history and stuff goes. So when I first saw the cards, I just was kind of blown away with the overall appearance of the product. And I just thought it was really nicely done. Um, I play a lot of Disney uh, Villainous. And so I was kind of used to the art style that they had. But this kind of is just the next level up for me. Um, and at first I thought, OK, you know, maybe I'll play it a little bit with my family and then I'll have my little collection um, of things. Um, but then the more I read into the rules and realized that it was something that I could learn to do um, has kind of encouraged me to be more of kind of a 
semi-competitive player. Um, I don't think that I'm ever going to get to the point where I'm going to be beating the super geniuses that play the game or anything like that. Um, but I, I still want to be able to go and experience competition, whether that's like a local competition or a regional competition. Um, I live in Western Washington, so um, I actually live in a fairly rural area, but I'm proximal to Seattle and Tacoma. So I suspect that I'll probably play in some of those level of competitions. And then potentially maybe if there's anything like Northwest related, um, you know, in Portland, Oregon or somewhere like that, then that would probably be what I would consider my ceiling. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, if, if I figure out that I all of a sudden have some sort of superpower and become great at this game, that that I wouldn't want to compete <laughs> okay. at, a, at a higher level. Um, but like I said, I think it's it's definitely a really niche hobby to where there's not one cookie-cutter way to do it. Um, and I think that um, that is a testament to the amount of work that the people have put into this game over at Ravensburger, the designers, specifically Steve and Ryan, and what they've kind of been doing the last three years to get ready for this, um, have put out a product that uh, I, I think will stand the test of time and I think is going to be a huge player uh, in the TCG market for the next you know 10 years is, is what I'm kind of looking at right yeah. now. So for you, someone who's coming from a, a board game world into a trading card game world, uh, what is that like in shifting your perspective? Because I, I've also played a lot of board games, like a lot, like a lot of board games. Um, but I've also played trading card games since I was a very, very, very young child. Like I was playing at high levels when like the the base set of Pokemon came out. It's very interesting to see people's thought processes and perspectives when they're shifting from one hobby to another. So give us a little insight on that. Like what obviously you you saw the game at D23, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily what grabbed your attention. Everyone saw D23, but it really nailed people's love and attention and those are the people who are part of the Lorcana community. So kind of regale that story that, you know, sparked you to become a, not only a content creator, but, you know, a collector and a player. Yeah. So I think, like I said, the D23 cards came out. And um, for me, actually, one of the biggest regrets I have is I had a friend reach out to me the day after D23 and offered to sell me his D23 cards for $400. Um, and I declined at the time. And my wife was like, you're crazy. Um, you're not spending $400 on six playing cards. That's insane. Uh, and I like to remind her about it all the time uh, because of just kind of what's happened in that market. Um, and, and go, you know, it's just, you know, what we could do with that kind of money. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I've kind of put that behind me. I'm not really worried about getting those at any point. Uh, I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion that I'm not ever going to own those cards. Um, but then really when the IGN article came out and I was exposed to the Discord specifically, the Lorcana HQ Discord, and I just saw how many people were excited about it and were like-minded like me because I'm kind of in my area. I'm I have friends that I play board games with and I have friends that come over for game nights and things like that, but there wasn't really this big sense of community around it where everybody was getting so excited and it just kind of fed my need for that kind of community. And that to me is the biggest aspect of why I've participated and why I started doing content and why I have kind of gone full fledged into learning how to be a better player is just the camaraderie and the community and the kind of, silly little battles that people have with each other. There's a lot of like fun banter back and forth and just how welcoming it was because 
there's a lot of environments out there where if you tried to step into an environment like let's say Magic the Gathering um, and you're really far behind, I don't think there's as many resources, as many people who are welcoming as there have been in this community. Um, and I think part of that is because we're all in it together. We're all experiencing the release together and the rules release together where everybody went nuts for 48 hours and, and kind of lost their mind. Um, and I think that that is kind of built into the product because it, you know, it is a Disney product, um, which some people are polarized on. You either like Disney or you don't. Um, and I think that because we all kind of came in together, when we do see new people coming in, especially like right now, the discord is just kind of exploding with the amount of people that are going into it. Everybody remembers when they came in and how they were new and how welcoming everybody was. So there isn't this kind of exclusionary stuff where we're like, well, you're asking a really silly question that was answered six months ago. Um, and, and everybody kind of relates to that a little bit. And I think that's what's driving this community to be so uh, kind of cohesive and everybody has the same goal. Uh, and that's, to, you know, get this game out there, make sure that it stands the test of time and that it is successful once it releases here in August. Yeah, there's a lot of space for Lorcana to grow into, both in the you know retail aspect of getting product onto the shelves, and then in the community because we really haven't seen too many of the trading card game players migrate in yet. Once we see more cards and we see a comprehensive rulebook, we'll probably see the numbers we have skyrocket again. But it looks like the majority of people right now are going to be more on the casual side, more on the collector side, and a large majority of this is my first trading card game ever, and I am so incredibly excited to, to give this a shot. And I think that's really cool because Lorcana is hitting a lot of different check marks for a lot of different people. And uh, you're right, Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon are not necessarily the most inviting space if you're brand new, you know nothing, and you're trying to educate yourself um, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Magic are very, very, very brutal. Pokemon is less so, but the expectation is exactly what you said. You can educate yourself. So go educate yourself. Don't come in here asking stupid questions. So that can be kind of off-putting to a lot of people. Yeah, and I think I think another big aspect of it is accessibility. Um, I know if you look at a Magic the Gathering card, there's so much information on a card, and it's kind of a, a very abstract concept where there might be creatures or things that look familiar to you but at the, the end of the day it's something completely unique different um same thing to a certain extent with pokemon now a lot of those characters have kind of found their way into pop culture over the last 25 30 years and they're now very very recognizable but when they first came out it was you know what does this yellow squirrel with a lightning bolt on him do and why is this turtle have you know, a cannon on his back. Um, but it's different with Lorcana because the, the IP that they're using is just so inviting and accessible, but at the same time, it's fresh. You know, we've got Floodborne characters, we've got Dreamborn characters, and we've got the, you know, Storyborn characters that are what everybody's familiar with, but it's not kind of watered down and basic where and not to knock villainous, but, you know, they stay in their lane. It's very specific to the story, whereas Lorcana has a chance to write its own story, but at the same time appeal to a lot of the nostalgia and a lot of the, the kind of fan bases that people have out there, whether you're a villains fan or a princess fan or a heroes fan. 
I think there's just so much there that kind of draws you in that you almost forget that you're learning a new type of game. You just kind of fall into it and everything's fairly easy to understand. The rules were written in a way that makes a lot of sense to someone like me who's never played a TCG competitively. Um, But at the same time, it offers a a lot of range where you can grow um, and become more strategic and more competitive. uh, But you don't have to have that day one in order to play. Yeah, there is a a large range of opportunity. There's a large range of growth. So players who know nothing about trading card games are not penalized by playing this game. There's there's a lot of card games out there that have an expectation that you've probably played a card game before. And I can think of like Flesh and Blood. It is new player friendly. But a lot of the mechanics are predicated on things from very, very classic card games. And it is very much not a card game I would recommend to someone as their first trading card game ever. Because it is uh, it's very complex. It asks a lot of the player. And I don't think it'd be as much fun as if you were to try, say, Pokemon or Lorcana. So I think this is a great time to pivot now that we kind of understand where you're coming from and your experience. And let's talk a little bit about the topic you wanted to bring up, and that is making sure people don't get ripped off. There are uh, a lot of ways to get ripped off. There's a lot of people out there who are trying to capitalize on the current market space, the current hype, the current excitement. And it's a a very dangerous place if you don't know what you're doing, and it's very easy for you to lose a lot of money if you're not paying attention. So uh, why don't you lead us off with some of your thoughts on that and some of your tips on how to avoid getting scammed? Yeah, so... I think first and foremost is just kind of doing your research and understanding uh, from a base level what the what product is actually available. Because a lot of times people get scammed by someone trying to say this is unique or this is a limited edition piece or this is a specific print run and try to scam you that way. And knowing what is available i mean obviously with the first the first chapter here it's going to be pretty straightforward that's the only thing that's going to be available but as time goes by people are going to forget that there was no uh first edition print run that anything was labeled and i think that as time goes by people are going to try to like capitalize on that by creating things that say first edition or manipulating cards to make it appear that they have a stamp that never really existed and i think the biggest problem with this is that there is a first edition stamp. We know what it looks like because it was on the D23 cards. And so there's really nothing to say that a a enterprising scammer can't go out there and buy a printer and run a bunch of cards through it and add that to the bottom, you know, and and then try to sell them later. Uh, We know that people will fake graded cards and that they will you know, open a case, put a fake card in there and reproduce the barcodes uh, from, you know, things like PSA and other grading companies to, to make a buck. And I think that there's a, a term that I would, or not a term, but an expression that uh, another collecting group that I'm in uses a lot. And that is that um, hype will build hustlers. And what that basically means is the more popular this game is going to get, the more and more unscrupulous people are going to come out of the woodworks and try to make a buck off of it. And they are 
pretty relentless in the ways that they try to make money. Um, I've seen it. We've seen it in the Discord where we've had people advertising, and then you pull up the information where they're saying they're from, and the address comes up to like a, a GNC or like a vitamin store or something, uh, and they're claiming, you know, oh, we don't know our allocation yet, but because of our relationship with our distributor, we are you know, very, very confident that we're going to get what we want. Oh, and by the way, here's a 20% off code. Um, I think that if you don't know a vendor and you don't understand the way that this game is being distributed, make sure you ask questions because it is startlingly, startlingly easy to create a website that takes money and looks professional. It's not difficult at all, and I have zero technical ability, and I feel confident that I could put together a website with very minimal effort that people would assume is from a store. So what's your website um, name that we should avoid? Um, I, I don't know as if there's any specific names of people that are out there yet, um, but they're... I think the biggest thing to make sure that you understand too is like when I was talking about how the game's distributed, Ravensburg has already said that this game will only be available to people with brick and mortar stores. So if you see someone who says, here's our website, and then you go to look at their location and they don't have a store, they're not going to be getting product from distribution. So even if they do have the ability to get product, it's not going to be from a distributor. It's going to be off secondary market, which means it's probably going to inflate the cost. And then you also don't know when they're going to get it because they have to get the product from somewhere before they start selling it. And that's only if they have legitimate product. Um, if they're selling, you know, bootleg stuff, then obviously you're going to get what you're going to get. Um, so I think that's kind of key. Number one is make sure you, you ask questions and ask for references uh, again, going back to how welcoming the community is, you can ask people for recommendations, say, hey, has anybody used this company yet? Or has anybody purchased from this company? Um, and get people's stories and real reactions. There's almost always somebody on, uh, no matter what time of day you go on, uh, there's a lot of people overseas and in different areas. So just making sure that you are being smart with your money. And I am not, so I work in government finance, but I am in, by no means a financial advisor. Um, but the other big thing to me, and you see this a lot in other communities, is if you are using a third-party payment, make sure that you are using a payment method that has some sort of buyer protection. Um, most notably is probably going to be people paying through PayPal. If it's not someone that you're related to or someone that you personally know, don't ever pay somebody in any way other than pay PayPal yeah, and service. Yeah. If you do that, you're, you're basically just kissing your money goodbye and you, there's really no chance you're ever going to see it again if something you know, nefarious happens or when you find out you're being scammed, it's too late. Especially if the person um, says, oh, I don't, I don't know about goods and service. I don't know how to work that. Just do friends and family. That'd be easy. That's like a red flag immediately. They're, they're scamming. Yeah, and you can almost and I, again, I, I'm a big Disney collector, so I'm in pin groups and I'm in Funko groups. One of the most common tropes is they'll give you some sort of sap story about it and say, oh, uh, you know, we we had this unexpected bill or unexpected vet bills or our medical bills and, you know, the fees really kill us. Don't listen to that. Cool if, story, if bro. Really yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll go for the sap story all the time. And I think that 
that is going to be more important when it comes to talking about purchasing second secondary market, whether it's singles or full sets or things like that. Don't give anybody your money if it's not going to be goods and services. There's just really no way to protect yourself. Um, and PayPal is probably one of the easiest sites to use in the world. So if someone says they're having trouble with it, that's a huge red flag there as well. So um, that's that's really, you know, again, I'm not a financial advisor, but I hate to see it. And you see it a lot where people are like, oh, well, this person was going to send me this and I paid them. And they said that, uh, you know, that they're getting taxed out the wazoo because they're using GNS instead of friends and family. That's really not your concern. If, if people are making that much money to where they're having to pay taxes on what they're selling online, then that means they're doing pretty well. Um, they, they shouldn't really make it about whether or not you are making them go over a tax threshold or something like that. So um, I, again, I would just always caution people um, to make sure that you're using, if you are going to use PayPal, to use PayPal goods and services. Um, and then the other thing is when you start looking at you know, the game's coming out in 80 days. Um, we're, we're down to the last 80 days, which seems remarkable considering where we came from at D23 last year. Um, but make sure when you are looking at retailers and places and LGSs that are doing online res- pre-sales, read the terms and conditions. I know that sounds really boring, but you want to make sure that you understand if you're giving a company money, what you're getting in return and what the contingencies are if and when a company maybe doesn't get the allocation that they thought or if there's product uh, shortages up front, which we've all heard the horror stories of what the doomsday sayers think is going to happen with Lorcana. But, you know, a lot of companies will say, you know, once you give us our, your money, it's with us. And then if we can't fill an order, it's going to be, you know, uh, store credit or things like that. Just make sure you understand that going into it. And that's, that's not a knock on stores that do that because some stores that's just really the only thing that makes financial sense for them to do. Um, but make sure you understand that. Make sure that you see, you know, a store might say, Oh, if we can't fill your order, we'll give you back a refund and it'll be within, you know, 14 business days or something like that. Just understand where your money's going and what you're doing with it. Um, cause I know a lot of people like me specifically, I've saved back quite a bit of money for the first chapter and that's not something I'm going to do for every single uh, product launch when we start getting into the second, third, fourth chapters. But I wanted to do that with the first chapter because I want, there's a lot of things I want to do with the product and not just collecting, not just playing, but some other content and stuff like that. But some people are going to shell out a good portion of money for this and you want to make sure that you're not just throwing your money away. So I think that really kind of looking at terms and conditions of services, asking people for, you know, recommendations on XYZ company. Um, have we used them before? How's this store do things? And then talking to the company themselves is the biggest thing you can do to help yourself out. Um, I know for me, I'm working with two different companies that are doing things very differently. I have one company, um, which is called Terra Crux Games. They're in Tacoma and they have a wish list on their website and basically what it's going to do is once, according to the store owner, once they get their allocation, they're going to load the inventory into their system. And as soon as it's live, an email will go out to everybody that has a wish list and it'll be available for sale. Um, and the reason he said he wanted to do that is because he didn't want to oversell and then have to refund people. So that's kind of scary for me because I have to make sure that I have my phone on me all the time. And there's certain times where I work where I can't. Um, so I'm like super nervous that I'm going to lock my phone in the secure room at work and then 
two minutes later, it's going to go live and I'm going to miss out. And then I have another company that I'm working with in Seattle called Mock Sporting. And they basically just have a wish list going where you tell them what you want and how many of each product you want. And then once they actually receive the product, they're just going to go down the list and start calling people and saying, you can come buy this and you have two weeks to get it. So that in itself is a little bit scary too. Um, cause I don't know, you know, am I going to be able to get everything I want? Am I going to have to go to multiple different locations to get it? Um, but I, at least I understand that. And I'm constantly looking for other places that, that have allocation numbers and are able to do that now. Granted, we don't know right now. Nobody really knows what their allocation is going to be. And in the States, I think we're, most people are telling you probably somewhere in the late June, early July timeframe, um, which I know can scare a lot of people because the game comes out in the middle of August. So you're talking about, you know, a month to six weeks where you're going to have to try to scramble. And that is kind of scary to a lot of people. Um, Welcome to trading card games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very, very scary. Um, when you think about it, cause you're like, okay, I want to spend X amount of dollars on this, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all of what I want, half of what I want, none of what I want. And it's really kind of, everyone has the same answer. It's like, well, we don't really know. Um, and you know, you just kind of have to make sure that you talk to your stores, understand what they're doing and how they're doing it. I know a lot of people are kind of tied down to one particular store, maybe only a couple of stores based off where they live. Whereas some people, if you live in a large metropolitan area, you might have lots of different options and it might be a little bit easier for you to get product. Um, whereas if you live somewhere like, I don't want to pick on anybody, but let's say West Virginia, where you're in the middle of nowhere and you might have to drive 30 minutes to the only store in your, in your immediate area that has stuff. And you're kind of relying on them to get what you need. So, uh, you know, it is, it is difficult for consumers and it's also really difficult for stores. I know in the couple of stores that I've talked to other than the ones that have methods that they've already planned on, they have no idea what they're getting. And they really, you know, they, they hound their distributors as much as we're hounding them about, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? And I have a friend that runs a store and he said, I call my distributor pretty much every other day um, to ask for updates. And it's just really not coming right now, um, which, you know, for them is, is frustrating because they want to be able to offer the product and they want to be able to support the community, but they just don't know what they're going to get. So uh, I think, you know, patience is going to be a really big thing. Um, like you said, welcome to TCGs. Um, I think the patience aspect is going to be really big um, when this this whole kind of candle gets lit here in the middle of August. Yeah. So there's a there's definitely a couple things that you can do if you're listening and you really, really want to get your hands on product. So the, the very first thing Support your local game store with the caveat. If your local game store is awful or they're like hiking up the price, uh, I don't recommend doing that. But if they're a good game store, like most of them should be, they're going to charge you MSRP. So talk to your local game store owner, talk to them face to face, go into the store, say, Hey, I'm such and such. I want to buy some Lorcana product. Most game stores are aware of Lorcana and they're in the exact same boat. Like you were talking about. They have zero idea what they're going to get. They've every single person I've talked to says we've asked for hundreds of boxes and we're fully aware we're probably going to get ten. So everyone is putting in massive requests, knowing they're not going to get it. Uh, everyone is also doing different means of allocating their their stuff. 
So some places are doing like what uh, Disney Dad's talking about, where you know it's a it's a wish list. One of my stores is doing first come first serve. Some places are doing a lottery. It's really dependent on the store. And as someone who's listening, if you really really want to get your hands on a product, do not assume. Call, talk, in, interact with that store, and verify with the the person who's doing it. So. If you know that you know the store owner has little Jimmy and little Timmy at the storefront, and they're saying, "Oh, we're not really sure," talk to the store owner. Go, "Hey, you know, I heard little Jimmy and Timmy said you're not sure what you're doing. Do you have a game plan?" "Oh, yeah, actually, we're doing a lottery." So now you know it's completely random. Or, "Oh, yeah, we're going to do first come first serve on that opening weekend." "Oh, okay, so now you know you need to get there about six a.m." Whatever it is, you can at least remove the the question mark of what is the game plan to get the product, and then. The next best thing you could do, honestly, buy random crap from the game store. Like, don't don't go broke, but you know, buy stuff you need. Like, buy a deck box, buy a play mat, buy some sleeves. Every time you go and go, hey, how's it going? You know, just talk to them about the product. You want those people to remember you, and you want to have them see you buying stuff to remember. Oh yeah, they're supporting me. They're not just going to show up, buy this Lorcana stuff, go home and rip it out on eBay and make money off of it. So. You want to establish a relationship. That'll really help. Uh, the second thing that a lot of people haven't been talking about, and I'm quite surprised, there's going to be a second release of Lorcana two weeks later at big box stores. So that's going to be Walmart, Target, I don't think anyone else, uh, as far as I'm aware. But product will, in my opinion, be very, very, very accessible when that happens. I do not believe they're going to sell booster boxes. I've never seen big box stores sell booster boxes, but... They should have a no. wide range of starters, which I really don't think are going to sell out. I think starters are going to be pretty easy to get. The singles are going to be tricky. So they're going to have booster packs in blisters. So that's a singular booster pack. They're going to sell the two-player starter thing with Hades and Mulan. That I really don't think that's going to sell out. The treasure troves, that I do think is going to sell out. Those are going to be high desirables. But if you live in a place, so like I live in Missouri. I live in the sticks. There's three Walmarts and two Targets by where I live on top of all the game stores. So I've already talked to my game stores. I'm going to be able to get product. But if something happens, God forbid, they blow up and they just don't get products or something happens, they get robbed, whoever, whatever scenario you want to imagine. I'm not too worried about it because I can just go to my local Target and Walmart and get the stuff I need. And then uh, the second thing is... If you're going to go online, which is totally fine, we always recommend support your local game store first. But if you don't have a local game store, or I have plenty of local game stores here in the air that are not supporting Larkana, they're not interested, or they just don't want to deal with that whole mess, which is fine, that happens, you can always go online. I recommend, at first, going to reputable sources like TCG Player, Cool Stuff Inc., Troll and Toad, companies that have been around for a long time, before going to eBay. Uh, be, just because you see something that has a really great deal doesn't mean it's a really great deal. I, it, you know, There's that old adage, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. I've seen so many people go online and go, oh my gosh, there's this cold foil such and such card I really want that the market value is $30 and someone's selling it for seven. I bought a play set. And then it gets there and they realize you know, it's, it's a fake. But they, they yeah. bought it from a source that's not reputable, they didn't check the you know number of uh, reviews. They didn't check their rating. They just said, "Oh, hey, it's seven bucks. I'm saving twenty three dollars per card. That's a, almost a hundred dollars savings. That's great." There's probably a reason they're not going for what the expectation is. 
And sometimes, very rarely, you do get a good sale. Like, you just get lucky. But, like, 99% of the time, that is a scam. And you are about to spend a lot of money and get none of it back. And then you're just sitting on dead cars, and now you're out, you know, 40 bucks, and that sucks. So um, there's there's a lot of people who want to save a buck. And uh, please, please, please do not get mad when I say this. Please understand I'm trying to say this as respectfully as I can. Uh, Trading card games are not cheap. If you're trying to play Lorcana on the cheap, it may not be the game for you. There's just the life of a trading card game. There will be cards that cost very little, and there will be cards that will cost a lot of money. And if your budget for playing any game is, you know, I've got $20 to play. Uh, maybe maybe a starter deck is all you can really afford, and that's fine. Like there, It's not wrong or right that you can or can't, but don't go into any game, especially a trading card game, immediately with the mindset of, I'm going to try and get in as cheaply as I can because people like that usually get taken advantage of the most. And then they walk away with a really bad taste in their mouth and they, and it just feels really bad. Cause it's like, sorry, you know, like, like Lorcana dad was saying, you got to do your research to protect yourself. And there's a ton of people out there who just don't care about you. They care about your money. And so they will say whatever they can to get your money. They'll say whatever they can to make a sale. And we want people who are listening to this to realize there's a lot of people out there who are just not good people. And they want to take advantage of you. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really apropos too, because you know there there are people that are already actively trying to figure out ways to to scam people and how to manipulate sales. And I think Lorcan has been really good about you know finding ways to make sure they can limit that and mitigate it because they know there's no way they could ever make their product absolutely tamper proof but you know the way that they're handling their booster boxes and the way they're going to have paper pull tabs in them you know that's going to be really important for people to understand and you know i'm sure once the game comes out you're going to see a lot of unboxings where people are going to demonstrate how it works and what it looks like because like you said there's going to be some people that aren't going to be able to invest as much money up front into this game as they can and maybe down the road might want to buy a booster box and they're going to see one online and they're going to need to know what to look for as far as pictures and, you know, asking the right questions of the sellers. Like, can you include a picture of this pull tab so I can make sure that it's still intact? Or can you show me the wrapper so I can make sure that it looks like it's supposed to? Um, so I think that, that that's kind of a big key too, is, is kind of keeping track of product and understanding what it should and what it should not look like. Again, we talked earlier about there is no first edition for this game outside of those D23 cards. So I know right now on Discord, there's been some photos that have kind of circulated of some old mock-ups that Lorcana has where they were showing off kind of packaging and stuff. And some of them did say first edition. And Lorcana has been very upfront about, you know, this was what we originally were going to go with and things have changed and we've decided that we're not going to print with first edition stamps or anything like that. And so when you see the actual product, it's going to look a little bit different. But those images are out there and people are going to use those to try to scam people. Um, And then going back to talking about big box stores, I think that's really important too, is just understanding that this product is going to be available in a lot of different outlets only two weeks after the initial launch. And you're really, FOMO is a thing. And I understand people want it as soon as it's available because they want to be the first people to pull this or they want to be the first one to have this. But just be patient. I know it sucks because we've been waiting so long. It seems like forever, but you know we've been waiting nearly a year 
once the game comes around to get this. But even if you have to wait two weeks, it's going to be available in Target. It's going to be available in Walmart. More than likely, I talked to my Barnes & Noble and they were aware of it and at least seemed like they were going to be trying to order products. So I don't know if Barnes & Noble will be selling it on September 1st or not, but it's definitely something that is on their radar. And then it's also going to be available through Disney's yep. own website. So, um, you know, and, and available in the parks, too, because I'm sure that there's going to be people crowding the Emporium on September 1st trying to get be the first person to buy you know, this product in the parks. They're, Disney collectors are in, there's videos all over the internet where you can watch people fist fighting over <laughs> like, a and, you know, I, I've done it myself. You know, I've been in the parks where I, I saw a hat come out one day and I said, man, I really want to get that hat, but I was kind of in the middle of something. And then later in the day I went to go buy it and they're like, oh no, they're like, if you don't grab it when you see it, that thing's, those things are going to be gone. And I didn't know yeah. any better. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, you know, how it works. And there's going to be people that are going to be upset and there's going to be people that are going to get anxious because they're going to hear that, you know, this is not going to be available. And, you know, oh, look over there. These people didn't get what they ordered. And so I need to go buy as much as I can. You know, don't do that. I don't think that's the right thing to do. And especially when it comes to like boosters and stuff. There's going to be a lot of bulk with this game because of, you know, I like the way that they're doing the booster boxes, but at the same time, if you look at the breakdown of the booster, half of that booster is common cards. So every pack that you open, you're mostly probably going to half of it's going to go in a pile. And then the other half of it, you know, maybe out of those three uncommon cards, maybe every couple of packs you'll get one that you don't have. And then you got your foil slots and your two rare plus slots. So I think that you kind of have to do the math and you, for whatever your own finances are going to be as to at what point do you stop buying booster boxes and move into the singles market? If, if you're trying to complete a set or if you're trying to, you know, want to collect, like I know personally, I want a binder of, of all the hollow cards just because that's what I want. I don't want, I don't necessarily want to play with shiny cards, but I want to have them for my own collection. Um, so you kind of have to do the math there because you can throw away a ton of money in a hurry. If all you're doing is just, I'm going to buy boosters every time I see them. So knowing your budget, knowing your means and kind of deciding what's important to you is just as important as deciding what type of player or collector you want to be. Um, you, you have to do that kind of self-reflection and figure out that before you go into it. Because like you said, if you don't have a plan going in, you can throw money down a hole really, really quickly. Yeah. A lot of people, if they're not collectors, think, oh, I'm going to buy you know 600 booster boxes and get everything I want. If you've been in trading card games for long enough, you you can go through and do the math on here's how many cards there are. Eventually we'll get the full set. So unfortunately we can't do the math now, but once the treasure trove cracks or Gen Con, one, one of those two, we'll know everything in that set by the time Gen Con comes out. You can sit down and mathematically deduce, okay, I want to play a princess deck. There are 43 princess cards. 80% uh, of them are common. 10% of them are rare. And then, you know, the other 10% are super rare or higher yada, 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 here's, we don't know what the pull rates are for a booster box, but, you know, let's just say 
booster box, you're given like, you know, guaranteed one, one legendary, three super rares, and then the rest are rares. And then you have the foil slot, blah, 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 blah. So you can go in and do some math and go, okay, if I buy on average, let's just say two booster boxes, I'll get 48 packs, 48 times 12 plus umpteen rares and foils, yada, yada. You can, you can easily do the math and see what you're going to walk away from, what your odds are of getting things that you want. And then you can start to make a decision on, okay, do I want to buy additional booster boxes? Do I want to buy singles or do I want to trade? Because like you said, you're going to have a ton of a bulk. And it's very common for people who are new to trading card games to overbuy. And then they have mostly what they want or all of what they want, but then they get really upset because it's like, well, I've also got 200 cards in a pile I'm never going to use. And it feels kind of bad. And I don't like that. Yeah. And so each you get that, uh, that shoe box of shame that just sits in the corner that you don't talk about. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's going to buy it from you because common cards are worth nothing. Like maybe five cents, maybe uh, you can, you can maybe trade it into your local game store. Most game stores will do like thousand cards for like five bucks. And th- that feels bad because it's like, that's not even a booster pack. And you just gave them a thousand cards. Ugh. So there's there's a wide range of really feel bad moments if you get too aggressive with your purchasing, or you're not aware of what is going to happen once you make all these purchases. So depending on who you are, and depending on your, your finances, and depending on what you want to do with the bulk, because some people have already said I'm going to take all this bulk and turn it into starter decks and just give it to my local game store so they can do demo nights. That's awesome. I think that's a great way to use the bulk. Um, there's, yep. there's a lot of different things you can do with those cards, but the, the thing is most people don't realize you're about to collect hundreds of cards you don't want. If you're the person who's like, I'm going to buy four booster boxes, I'm going to buy a case. Great. And then, you know, then a, a couple weeks later they realize, oh, I've got, you know, 17 copies of Olaf. I only need four. Does anybody want an Olaf? And here's the other side of that coin. There's going to be so much product on the market everyone is going to be trying to liquidate it. So unfortunately the value of cards is going to be probably pretty low up front because every single person is going to have a million copies of, you know, Mickey brave little Taylor, and they're all going to be trying to sell it. And they're all going to be trying to undercut the person who's selling it for a dollar higher than them. So it's going to be great for buyers. It's going to be a really good buyer's market in theory, but it's going to be a really terrible seller's market because if you're trying to sell your Mickey brave little Taylor cold foil, so are probably a couple hundred other people on eBay, on TCG Player, on all these different websites. And the best, really, the best way to sell your cards is through word of mouth to people you know, not the internet, uh, because you get hit with shipping and fees and taxes and all kinds of stuff. And by the time you sell that card for fifty bucks, you only get like fifteen. It's just, it's just not worth your time. Um, but that is a conversation for another day. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about because you mentioned it was being patient. I am a firm believer that people should not pay the Gen Con tax. There's a lot of people going to Gen Con, including myself. Are you coming out, uh, Lorcan of Dad? Unfortunately, I will be at a wedding, and my wife gave me the choice and said, well, you can go if you want, and I am smart enough to yep, know what that's that means. Trap. So that is not- absolutely a trap. You are a wise man, wiser than most. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah. So unfortunately, we'll not get to hang out, but we'll we'll meet up one of these days, I'm sure. I will be going to D23 next year. I've already blacked it out the whole month of September, so whatever 
whenever they give out the dates, I will be going to D23 next year because I, you know, and I think that was part of maybe where we're going with this, but um, with tournaments, I honestly think that they will do something at D23 next year tournament-wise because that's where it started, and I think that that's they're going to kind of do something big at D23, whether it's promos or whether it's a, an event of some sort. So I am super excited. I was going to D23 anyway for other reasons, but... Um, I think that's going to be a big, big convention. Interesting. We'll have to wait and see. I actually don't think they're doing anything at D23, but we're going to talk about that uh, after this because we're going to talk about tournament stuff. Uh, But with Gen Con, uh, there's going to be a lot of people buying a lot of packs, and I know for a fact some of them have already said, I'm going to put these on – I'm just going to buy a booster pack and put it on eBay and try and sell it for 50 bucks. If you you have the money and the means, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not your dad. However – I want to make a recommendation for those who are listening. Unless you absolutely have to have that item immediately, I don't recommend paying the Gen Con tax for a couple of reasons. One, stuff coming out of Gen Con is going to be just grossly overpriced because it's the first of its kind. So we're going to crack packs, and you're going to see people posting cold foil, uh, brave little Taylor Mickey Mouses, and Dragonfire, and Let It Go, and all kinds of cards we don't even know about yet. And they're going to be asking exorbitant prices. They're going to go, hey, I want $100. I want you know, $200, whatever. Okay, that's a lot for one card. That, that's also a booster box, which you could pull it for yourself. Just, just saying, mathematically. Uh, the other thing is, and this is the more ironic thing, depending on the shipping, because if you look at Gen Con, so I'm going to pull up my calendar here. So we're going to be at Gen Con the, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, if someone ships it to you, they might get – we'll just say the fastest possible way. They ship it on Monday the 7th. If they ship it cheaply, which they probably will, they'll probably do USPS. It might take a week to get to you. So you could get it between the 11th and the 14th. But the thing is in like four days on the 18th, the cards are going to be available at your local game store. So you just paid $100 for a card that you got four days early, theoretically. Uh, even even if we yeah. if we shorthand it and say they ship it on the seventh and it gets to you on like tenth or eleventh, you paid the price of a booster box to get a card a week early. I personally don't yeah. think that's the best deal in the world. Now, again, if you've got money to blow, you don't care. Sure, do whatever you want. But if you're looking at this going, "Oh, I got to have it," and money's tight, I got to make a decision. What do I do? I would recommend waiting the week and trying to buy the entire booster box at your store versus. Oh, I got like two booster packs and this cold foil Mickey from Gen Con. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're not they're not going to be any different either because they've already said that they're not going to be doing any sort of specific card promo. So you're you're basically yeah you're paying extra. Now I I will play devil's advocate here and I will tell you that those people that are going to be doing that and that are going to be scalping. Um, they're going to be very successful, and I will give you one reason why, and that reason is Asia. Um, the game is not going to be distributed in Asia. Um, there are a huge market for TCGs in that culture, and a lot of those people have money to blow and very, very deep pockets. So I think that you're going to see maybe not necessarily a lot of people in the States wanting to to, to buy. Um, you might see some of that in Mexico as well. I don't think it will be as prevalent, but I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot of shipments going from Indianapolis to Tokyo and Beijing because I just think 
that there are people out there that don't want to wait the year, two years, however long it's going to take for, for Lorcana to get into those markets. And they want to get the, as much product as they can now. Um, and, and I think that those are the areas that those people are going to be successful in. Um, now, do we particularly, does that matter here? I don't think so. Um, but like, like you said, it, you really have to do some soul searching and figure out, you know, am I really not going to wait two weeks um, to get the product? Um, because there's not really, you know, there might be a pin. My thought is they'll probably have some sort of pin available. Um, we also, the other thing is we do not know what product and what amount of product is going to be available nope, at Gen Con nope. at all. They have not said a word. All they've said is there will be limited product available for purchase. Um, so, you know, what does that mean? You know, are they going to say, okay, everybody can buy one starter deck and maybe, you know, two or three booster packs? Um, I, I very seriously doubt that they are going to lug booster boxes there, except for maybe the prizes for the little starter deck tournaments that they're going to have. So, because you got to remember, Gen Con is in Indianapolis and Ravensburger has to pay to move all that product around wherever they're going to move it. Um, so they're going to want to probably keep that as small as they can. And honestly, individual booster packs are really easy to move around. So I, I foresee them probably maybe having limited starter decks available and then probably just booster packs. I don't, if they have gift sets and troves there, I would be really shocked. Um, and and for a number of reasons, specifically with the with the trove, I mean, right now they control the flow of information and what cards we've seen, and I think we're still at like 110 or 115 that we haven't seen. Um, but you know, once once the trove is available, it's going to have that that book in it that's going to show you all the cards and the secrets are out. So I don't think that they would bring those to Gen Con, but I could be wrong. But if I had to bet on it, I would say no. Um, because like I said, once Gen Con comes around and people start ripping packs, we're going to have a full set list by the end of the day. Yeah, the it won't matter. Day. There's, I think we calculated there's like almost 2000 starter decks going out between the learned plays and the deck challenges and multiply yep. that times 12 cards in a booster pack. We'll see the whole set by day one. There's no question about it. Now it's going to be a pain in the butt to track everything everywhere, but basically yep. by the end of the day, you know, Someone's going to compile it all, so I'm not worried about that. Um, yeah, his name is Ushu. Well, you can check out Lorcania as well. Yeah, Lorcania is really good. And I think, honestly, you know, I, I think I really have to, and I've talked about it in my videos a ton, but Ravensburger is so smart with the way they've handled the information for the most part. There's been a few things where I'm like, eh, okay. But I fully expect them to understand this. I'm sure they're probably listening to content like everyone else and will come up with some way to retain that power of releasing all that information. And I could foresee a situation where, you know, the end of July, they just kind of casually go, hey, check out the new tab on our website. And it's, you know, the entire first set is listed there. Um, that would be something that I could see them doing now. Their website will probably crash. Um, but... You know, they they want to control this. This is their baby. They've they've been, you know, Ryan Miller and Steve have been kind of in this for I think three years now. It'll be almost four years by the time launch comes around. They they're not just gonna wanna let people like 
steal that thunder as far as, you know, here's the full set list. So I think we'll see something. Um, now it's been kind of slim pickings the last few weeks. Uh, but I, I think that they're probably gearing up for something big. Possibly. It's, it's very possible. We'll never know because none of us work for them. But we have a question in chat. It's a great one. Is there a mark on Lord okay. cards to prove they're real? Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards have a little gold square in the corner, which uh, Magic also has the um, the foiling in the center. So is there anything like that on these Lorcana cards? And unfortunately, we don't know. We have yet to see any kind of anti-theft foiling or um, tinfoil, holofoil, anything to kind of detract from just scammers. So I don't know. Have you seen anything, uh, Dad? No, I mean, not not specifically for the anti-theft, but I think there's there's an accumulation of stuff on the cards that, that could be very, very helpful. Um, you know, there's going to be a copyright, obviously. There's going to be the artist's name. There's going to be the set list, um, what number it is in the set. There's going to be a rarity symbol. So, you know, obviously making sure that, and this goes back to educating yourself, you know, go look at the rules set that they posted and it shows you kind of the anatomy of the card and make sure when you're looking at stuff that you know where stuff's supposed to be. If you've got a card that's got a rarity symbol in a corner, that's not a real card. You know, it's, it's not, it needs to be where it's supposed to be. Um, so those are the sort of things that I think you can kind of cumulatively look at to determine, you know, really bad fakes. Um, but no, I don't think they've said anything so far as to, is there going to be like some sort of indicator of, of is it a legitimate card or not? Yeah, not as of yet, but hopefully, hopefully we'll uh, get some kind of anti, you know, theft mechanic, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But thanks, Ohana Lurkana, for asking. I think it's a really good question. I do Unless hope Ravensburger actually to- does in- include something of that nature, because really, right now, it's pretty easy to duplicate cards if you know what you're doing. Yeah, I, I could, and that's the hard part too. Is you know they've invested so much into the art for these cards that y- you don't really want to give up real estate on a card just to have something that's going to protect it from being faked. But that said, um, there's a lot of stuff they can do with different colored inks. Um, I could really, you know, like they do in driver's license and things like that. Um, I could see them doing something neat with the back of the card with some black light ink where, you know, you could run a, a UV light over it and pretty readily tell if it's faked or not. Um, Cause that's a lot harder to fake than, than something yeah. else. Cold foiling be hard to fake. Uh, cold foiling is very, very difficult to fake. Um, and it's almost, I mean, that's the thing too, is like you almost, when you're designing it, want to make it as elaborate as possible so that people who can and will fake it, they think twice about it because it costs them so much to do that there's really no margin in it yeah. for them. And that's the big thing with resellers is they want margin. How do I how do I buy for the littlest amount as possible and sell for the highest premium that I can? Yeah, that's that's the trick for scammers is, you know, where can I make money? Because if they're making pennies on the dollar, they're not going to do it. If they're making dollars on fist hand over fist, They'll do it. So that's another big interesting thing is we don't know what the secondary market is going to look like because a lot of people think there's going to be a huge, huge markup. But I I actually think it's going to be fairly accessible just because if the entire set, theoretically, again, is supposed to sell out from distributors at the LGS level. and, And then on top of that, you have big box stores and you have Disney parks and you have Disney's website. 
And I'm sure people on Amazon have got some kind of deal as well. There's going to be a lot of product on the market. And this is a great segue into our next topic for the last couple of minutes. The tournament scene is very unclear. We have third parties who have announced tournaments. And we have Lorcana officially saying that there have been some incorrect speculations on first party events. And they're going to announce something soon. So until we actually know what tournaments look like, there's not really a need to spike prices because we don't know what cards are worth because there's nothing to put them up against. There's there's no metric. It's just, yeah. hey, this card's good in testing. Well, who have you been playing with? Me and my little brother? Yeah, that sorry, homie, that doesn't count. Like, have you played 100 games versus 100 opponents? Have you played the best in the world? No, we just play at our coffee table. All right, so there we go. Um, there's there's an interesting discussion to be had, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about the Lorcana tournament scene because it's very minimal at this point. Yeah, and and again, I think that you know we're not dealing with you know a Kickstarter campaign for a game that that these people have never done before, and they just think I'm really smart. We're dealing with people that have been in this space for a very very long time, have been very very successful. Um, and understand the market and they understand um, the tournament scene and how that works. And I think that, you know, my answer has probably changed a little bit over the last few days with with the Team Lorcana posting in the Discord about like, oh, we're going to put out some new information. It's been a little bit, you know, miscommunicated. But I, I don't, before that, we thought that there wasn't going to be any like high level competitive scene for the first year is what the information that was put out that has since been kind of dispelled is not entirely. Yeah, but I didn't think that that was a terrible idea. And the reason I think that is because this has been so community driven and the game is not just 1v1. You know, it's, that's something that's not really talked about that much. I have played a lot of games in playtesting. And honestly, I find uh, four player format extremely fun. Um, compared to a 1v1 game. And I've played a couple of 2v2 games. Those are fun. Um, that that are so much fun. So from the aspect of Lorcana is, you know, on paper they can say, okay, we're a one V one game. You know, this is how we're going to run tournaments. And I certainly think that there will be one V one tournaments at a competitive level. But I think by kind of slow playing the like the amount of tournaments and how things are done is it gives them an opportunity to kind of really take stock of what the community wants and what they um, what is popular. So, you know, they could come out and say, oh, we're only doing 1v1, and then you find out that six months into it that 2v2 is the superior format that people really, really like playing, and if you've already committed to, like, okay, we're only doing 1v1 tournaments, then you kind of shut all those people out, and they have to go somewhere else to, to get, you know, scratch that itch or play that kind of competitive level, whereas if they take their time and look at what is more popular and what is doing well and what people enjoy doing, they can take that feedback from the community and provide a much better tournament structure that people are actually going to want to do. Um, because I think, like you said at the beginning, the competitive high-level tournament players are a very small portion of, of the TCG environment overall. And if they want to change that or they want to kind of like buck the trend with that, they need to listen to the players. And I think that that might be a small seed of, of what led to that whole we're not doing competitive for a year thing 
Now, I think that they've obviously got a lot of backlash from that where people are like, well, if you're not going to do competitive right at the gate, then this is just a money grab and we're going to move on. Um, they have to com- they have to compete with that philosophy or that thought. Um, so they're going to have to do something. But I do think that um, Lorcana specifically gives you a lot more opportunity to have, you know, you could have 2v2 worlds where you could see like teams of the best players in the world going head to head, which I think would be awesome. And I... I don't think I'll ever get there, but I think that I would love to like watch that and kind of see how that goes. Um, I played one round where it was monocolored decks, six players, and just kind of a free-for-all, and that was a lot of fun. It was very crazy. Um, but there's so many different format options when it comes to Lorcana that I think we're going to see all sorts of different types of tournaments, and I just think it's a matter of time of letting Lorcana absorb the feedback from the community before they kind of set the the bar as far as what we're going to do for a sanctioned uh, level as far as either worlds or nationals or state competition or region competitions and that sort of thing. So I think it'll be really interesting to follow that, but I think that's probably where their head was at when they started coming out with information about maybe not doing competitive for a year and then, well, hold on, we'll give you some information later. Yeah, so my, my takeaway is after having been in games for not like 30 something year I'm, I'm old when it comes to games. If the news is not directly from the company itself and we can see it or hear it, I don't trust it. So when that, when that news first came out, it was like, huh, that's interesting. Is there a video of them saying this publicly or like a tweet of them saying this publicly? And I couldn't find one. And so I, I just kind right. of waited because everyone's going, Oh, Hey, you know, and I don't get me wrong. I really appreciate what the Lorcana France team did, but I'm always suspicious that, you know, a maybe it's a misunderstanding. B maybe it's someone saying something incorrectly on the Ravensburger side or the tweet side. Or C this happens a lot too. People say things incorrectly uh, on either on either mm-hmm. side. Someone might, from Ravensburger might have said something that was misconstrued, or they might have said something like, "Hey, you know, we're going to give you some news on tournaments." but we don't have any right now. And that was misunderstood as, Hey, they don't have any news for tournaments for the next year. Hey. So like, until we see anything official from a company, I'm always very skeptical. That's just me. But uh, I am glad that Lorcana, like the Disney Lorcana team officially came out and said, Hey, this was incorrect. The speculation is wrong. We have news. We'll let you know soon because regardless of tournaments or not, we needed an official announcement because there was so many people jumping the gun at a non-official announcement. And, th- and it's a pretty critical bit of news for the game yeah. that was not through a, a official channel. And that, that did genuinely worry me because everyone was saying, Hey, there's no tournaments from who was it official? <laughs> like, no, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to wait. That is, you know, you kind of like, maybe understanding that a little bit, that that was a huge piece of information because I know, you know, like we talked about earlier, there are a lot of people excited about this game, but high level competitive players have not entirely bit off on this yet. And I think they're coming. And if, if you're a, if you're a high level competitive player, because I know there are people who play card games professionally and that's what they do for a living. They're not going to waste their time learning a game. If they're like, well, it's a year out. I'll just read some books down, you know, next year and then decide if I want to do it. You're alienating those people. um, And those people are huge advocates for your game, um, especially in, you know, circles where it's, you know, people live stream and and cast and things like that. And if you want to see these big names at tournaments, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're 
at least being upfront and honest about where, how you're going to do it. Um, but yeah, like you said, if, if you don't see it directly from, from the Lorcana Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you know, social media they're using, um, the other thing that to keep out or make sure that you pay attention to is a lot of times, uh, trade publications will get exclusive information and then you'll see the Ravensburger team will like retweet an article. Um, that's also, a good, good way endorsement. To, to gauge if they're retweeting, uh, you know, the gamer article, they retweeted that and, you know, they're like, okay, this is a confirmed source, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But, but they did not um, retweet just, the French one, which also made me suspicious as well. I was like, huh, they haven't yeah. commented on it. They haven't retweeted it. Uh, yeah. I don't know about this. It's looking kind of suspect. Yeah. And the other thing too, that I don't think a lot of people know, or maybe a lot of people don't really pay attention to is there has been some turnover in the social media department with Ravensburger, especially when it comes to the Lorcana mm-hmm. team. So, you know, they are actively hiring people. Um, there, I think there was a job announcement that came out a few weeks ago, um, to replace one of the team members that had moved on. Um, so you compile everything leading up to Gamma, which was a huge kind of relief for them, or a release of information from them, with, you know, now they're kind of back into, like, hibernation mode until we get into Gen Con. It's going to probably start wrapping up again, up until launch. And then you find out they're down a social media person. Um, you know, that I kind believe of, it was the lead social media person, too. Uh, yeah, she was um, one of the two leads, I think. So, um you know, they've got some big shoes to fill and, you know, they're kind of without a person that does that professionally. So I think that that's kind of contributing to the lack of information we've seen the last couple of weeks. Um, I know the last kind of bigger one we saw was those six cards where they said, oh, which animal sidekick would you want? But of the four new cards that were there, I think maybe only one of them was like fully flushed out where you could see everything. And the other three were kind of missing information or, you know, you couldn't see exactly what all the, the flavor text said. So you couldn't really decipher what mm-hmm. was going on with the car, um, which is, it is frustrating, but it's also probably, I mean, it's probably very intentional on their part. Um, I really am looking forward to once everything comes out, Ravensburger kind of doing some behind the scenes stuff and kind of explaining, you know, why they did things a certain way or why they felt it was important to share information this way or obscure this portion of something when they, you know, put up a card reveal where they don't show you the lore values on it. Um, and obviously there's, there's some pretty obvious reasons why they wouldn't give you a full card all the time. Um, but it will be, I'm, I'm fascinated with the whole process. So I, I want to see that information come down, uh, at some point. Um, you know, but at the same time, when are we going to get that? Because you've got August 18th as the LGS release. You've got September uh, 1st as the release in Big Box Store. And then you've really only got maybe eight or nine weeks until the second set's supposed to come out in LGS. Um, so that that machine's going to keep on rolling. And I don't know as if they'd have time to stop and, and put that sort of information together to kind of share with the, the community. Probably um, not. But I hope they do. Well, don't forget, a lot of people forget that this is an enterprise through Disney, and everything they do and everything they say and all the posts and whatnot have to be approved by the handler. So there are very unique things that happen that people don't understand. They're like, why would you do this? Well, Robinsberger has to answer to a higher authority who's got a big... Uh, big range of power so 
it's not always Ravensburger's yeah. fault that you may or may not get what you want. Sometimes it's Disney saying, no, you cannot do this. Yeah. And Disney, if you haven't been paying attention to the news, has been a little busy the last couple of weeks fighting, <laughs> fighting a different front, uh, which I don't want to get into. But needless to say, I think I think their people have been maybe preoccupied with other things. Well, I mean, there's if you haven't ever worked with a company who works with Disney, it goes through a lot of different people's hands. So you, you create a card and you send it to Disney and it goes to their design team and it goes through their lawyers and then it goes to the person who's in charge of the game department. So there's a, there's multiple checklists your your thing has to go through. And that's that's their job. They are completely mm-hmm. dedicated to micromanaging games. They have no job relationship with the theme parks or PR mar- ad marketing or all the stuff that's going on in Florida. Their job is to micromanage Lorcana and fantasy flight games with star Wars unlimited and uh, villainous and all those other things. So they yep. are there, you know, five days a week, who knows how many hours they work, probably 15 hours a day. And they're giving the thumbs up on, yes, you can do this or no, you cannot do this. And here's why. So, Whenever people are looking at Robinsburg going, oh, man, they're just super quiet. Why are they super quiet? It may or may not be their fault, and we will never know. Disney will never admit it. Robinsburger will never admit it. It's a complete secret. But yeah. And they're doing 800 times every three months. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's going to be the volume. I just – I man, I just can't imagine the volume of it. And, you know, and especially, like, you look at the – the artists I would like to see, you know, I'm sure somebody will compile it at some point of like, you know, this artist did the most work or this one, you know, this person had 10 cards in the first chapter, you know, and just see really kind of like the volume of what they're doing when it comes. And and that brings up a good point because a lot of people probably don't realize this either. Uh, They're, if they're following the standard print run kind of thing, like, you know, most trading card games do, they're done with set one, two, and three. They're probably working on set four or five right now. So, that yep. leads to a lot of people going, oh, in set one, there's this card that's kind of overpowered or this combo that's kind of overpowered. What are you going to do about it in set two? Nothing. Set two has already been at the printer for two months, and set three was designed a month and a half ago. So you generally, that's why you see most companies use the uh, ban errata list because they don't have the capacity to answer a problem in the immediate set. I mean, if you look at Magic, they're on, I think, what, a two or three year cycle in advance. So the stuff that's coming out right now, they had designed it and developed it in like 2019, 2020. And this is a company with bajillions of dollars, a huge R and D department. They've got some of the largest resources in the training card game scene. And so there's no way we can look at Ravensburger and Lorcana and go, Oh, Hey, there's this thing. There's this problem. Fix it in set two. Set set two has been at the printers for two months. I guarantee it. They're they're pr- oh yeah. yeah. Set two is probably about to get to the warehouses here, like in a month or two. I, I think set two is already packaged and yeah. ready to go. Um, and I think too, like you know, they they did mention it was kind of almost like an afterthought that somebody had mentioned it. I forget where it was, but they they had mentioned something about that number seven. And so they are already at least in the planning or idea phase for set seven, which is two years and three months down the road. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's really kind of crazy to see. And I think that that's really a testament to the confidence they have that this is not going to be a, it's going to fail after a year uh, type situation. Um, so, but but we'll see. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's a lot of, the other thing too that I think for new people, the question that constantly comes up 
is uh, oh, how long do you think it's going to be until we get Star Wars and Pixar and Marvel? Um, and my general thoughts on the whole thing is that I really, really, really hope that we do not see Marvel or Star Wars in this game ever. Well, we can't see Star Wars. FFG has a license for that. Correct, right. But I mean, like, any sort of, like, floodborne, like, mix-match sort of things. But I generally, regardless of what happens with with Star Wars Unlimited, I I do not want to see Iron Man and Mickey (laughs) and r 2 like, in one game. Um, I, I fully expect and want to see Pixar because I think that that's just so close to the, the feel of what Disney is that it's hard to distinguish the two um, sometimes. And I think there's a lot of characters that obviously play really well in that environment. Um, but I don't think we're going to see Pixar for a while. Um, but I... I genuinely think that it will happen at some point, but that is, that is a question that comes up with new players all the time. You see it in discord, especially where some be new and be like, Hey, does anybody think that we're going to get Marvel characters anytime soon? Um, so it's another, we don't know, but um, you know, obviously a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions. Um, and we know that uh, Ravensburger does have a license when it comes to Marvel. So they have a board that, games and they have, the, correct. They, they, they have worked in that space before, um, and they have included Pixar characters in their villainous sets, which took, I believe, I have all of them, I can't remember the dates, but I think it was probably like the fourth set where they had uh, Syndrome, and so, you know, it, it's definitely not like they haven't done this before where they've added Pixar characters into a Disney game, um, but... Um, I, I think it will happen at some point. I just yeah, so since Fantasy Flight has the licensing rights for Marvel in card games, such as uh, Marvel Champions, and they just announced mm-hmm. the Star Wars Unlimited trading card game, uh, for those who don't know, the way licenses work is Disney has individual licenses for individual properties for individual game types. So people will say, oh, hey, uh, Robinsberger did Star Wars in a villainous game, so they can absolutely do it in a trading card game, right? So unfortunately, that's not how that works. Unless you buy like a, a mass overall license of we want the entire license to control for board games, trading card games, puzzles, et cetera, et cetera, everybody has to, to bid on the license individually. So we see that Robinsberger has the license for Disney proper from uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. And then Fantasy Flight Games has the license for trading cards for Star Wars because they had uh, Star Wars Destiny, and now they have Star Wars Unlimited. So until they lose that license or they negotiate with Robinsberger, which neither of those I think are going to happen anytime soon, I can pretty comfortably say we're not going to see Star Wars in any Robinsberger trading card games at this point. Um, The other thing is the same for uh, Marvel Champions, since the licensing rights for card games representing Marvel characters is in the hands of FFG. I do not believe we're going to see anything of that nature bleed into Lorcana. Now you might say, okay, well, what about the villainous games? Okay. Well, if you look at the villainous games, guess who's not producing board games of the same type FFG. So they ironically each have a license for a game type. The other one could potentially produce because FFG is also very well known, known as a board game company. Uh, they Obviously, they do have some games that are not LCGs and TCGs because they have like that Star Wars deck building game. But again, it's a card game. It's not a board game. And then right. there was that like X-Men game. I think it was predominantly mostly cards. There were some like 
character tokens. I cannot remember what it was, but uh, I know I've it, seen it. it was it was like a reskin of an, another game that they had. Yeah, which is which which is what bothers me too about Lorcana too, because I was on Facebook the other day doing some damage control, which is really the only reason I go on Facebook anymore. But there was a guy on there complaining, saying that oh, Disney Lorcana is basically Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, but now you have to pay what? for it. No, and I just. Uh, I lost my mind. I was like, are you serious? Like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And I sent him a bunch of links and he replied. He DM'd me and was like, he's like, ah, oh, you just don't know how Disney works. And I'm like, well, <laughs> uh, kind of. Um, uh, so, yeah, Sorcerer's uh, Magic Kingdom is not a trading card game. It had very, very, very bare bone rules. And those bare bone rules were terrible. Yeah, and you had to play it in the parks, which is so scary. Well, they, they had a way um, you could play at home, but it was, it was, it was terrible. Yeah, it was sorcerers is meant to be played in the parks with the RFID chips. That's that's what it was there for. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I do. You know, it is the licensing world is a very strange world, and I think that um, you know we'll see some changes, and then obviously you got to you, you also have to compete with the um, public domain issues that are going to be coming up in the next year or two with certain characters. I know Winnie the Pooh is already public domain. Mickey Mouse is um, coming up. Mickey Mouse, and then Donald's the mm-hmm. year after, and then Goofy's the year that so i think we're gonna see some kind of weird stuff happen in the next few years but um i think lorcana should be able to weather the storm uh of other stuff that comes out possibly um, possibly um but and the the other thing is disney's still making stuff you know they're they're making new movies all the time so it'll be interesting to me to see if when those movies come out, if they get automatically incorporated into the licensing deal, or if they'll have to like revise and amend their their license as as each movie comes out, because um, I know like Disney Wish is yep. coming out, and that probably would make a lot of sense in the game. So yeah, that is a Walt Disney Animation Studios production, so that would fall under the range for Lorcana. Yeah, and it is kind of crazy too. Like now that you mention it, and I'm thinking about it, because I used to be pretty big into Funko collecting. I, I do still dabble, but not nearly as much. Um, but it was really interesting for me for a while to figure out. Um, so all of the Marvel and Star Wars Funkos are actually bobbleheads and not Marvel uh-huh. figures. Because because Hasbro has the license for all action figures, which count as vinyl yes. figures uh, for, for those two uh, entities. And so the way they got around that was by, like, we'll put a spring in it and it'll be a bobblehead. Um, which... If, unless you take it out of the box, it doesn't matter, right? Because <laughs> it doesn't. Um, so that's kind of you know same sort of thing, um, but interesting nonetheless to to hear that side of it because I I didn't fully understand all who had all the licensing agreements, um, but because I was I was thinking more about like Marvel Snap and that technically being a card game even though it's a digital one. And that's know, the thing. That's a that digital. Like, that's that a looks- digital mobile game that is not a trading card game. You cannot trade any cards. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's true. You can you can uh, break them down and you can reuse them, but there is no trading between players at the current moment. I don't think there ever will be. It's not marketed as a trading card game. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I have not played Marvel Snap. I saw it, I saw it demoed and I was like, yeah, no, I don't have time for that. But um, but yeah, so I am I'm very uh, very excited for the future. Um, but obviously. We got to get to August eighteenth. Oh yeah, yeah. Marvel Snap's a super fun game if you give it a shot, but it can it can suck you if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I'll, I'll stay away. I've already. My wife is already ready for Hogwarts Legacy when it comes out on the Switch. We are ready for that, and that will probably be our 
our mobile gaming environment for a while because my wife is a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, Legacy's really good. I'm waiting for it to go on Steam Summer Sale. I'll pick that up. But um, all right, here's the last thought before we get on out of here because we're pushing almost on two hours, which has been fun. So uh, Star Wars Destiny was a card game that FFG made and then it died. And now they've announced Star Wars Unlimited, and that comes out next year. So with two trading card games, actually, before I before I ask this question, did you see the um, Quick Start Rules leak that came out er, last week, I think it was? I was in Hawaii. Okay, now. so someone on the internet, I don't know where, um, I found it on Facebook because someone posted a link from Reddit, and I'm not going to Reddit, but they leaked the Quick Start Rules and... Star Wars Unlimited has a lot of similarities to Lorcana. Uh, one of them being you can essentially ink any card. Now, this one, you can ink anything. There are no cards with and without you know, ink sim- symbolism on the card. Everything would be a resource. Uh, one of the more interesting things is at the start of the game, you actually draw six cards and take two of them and turn them into resources before the game has ever started. So you start at two. And then the okay. last interesting thing is you draw two. So at the end of the turn, you draw two cards, you take a card from your hand and turn it into a resource if you want, and then you untap everything. So unlike most trading card games where at the start of the turn you draw and the start of the turn you play a resource, you do it all at the end. So although you start with two resources, you're, you're mm-hmm. only really ahead by one because at the end of turn one, you play the third and so on turn two, you can play a three drop or lower. And then on turn four, you can play a, a so on and so forth. Um, but right. there's a significant amount of mechanics that are like identical to Lorcana. So between knowing that and then Star Wars fans, people who are like, I want to see Star Wars and Lorcana. Uh, once we see Star Wars Unlimited hit the market, do you think there's going to be any kind of impact on Lorcana proper um, just because... It's it's two trading card games in the same space, very similar mechanics, very player friendly. They're both multiplayer right out of the gate. They're both easy to play, simple to learn, hard to master. On top of that, it's Star Wars, and it's classic Star Wars too. They're coming out of the gate with the original three films. They're not going deep into the, the extended stuff yet. Um, I'm going to say no, and I think the the main reasons I would say that Disney or kind of should not be worried is. Uh, like I said, they're using the original trilogy, so that's divisive in itself. There's a lot of uh, people, you know, I'm in my late 30s, there's a lot of people that are my age that are huge uh, prequel fans, and then the younger crowd is, you know, they like the movies in general from their generation, so you got all the the, the Ray and the Kylo Ren storyline that people are going to be wanting, so unless you're a diehard Star Wars fan, you're going to feel like something's left out because you may like other characters from other canon parts of Star Wars. Um, the the other thing I think is that Disney has a much broader IP palette to select from. Um, you know, they've got just thousands of characters. Star Wars, especially the original trilogy, there's probably only like two or 300 characters total that you could milk in my mind. Um, and, Four or five of those are going to be different versions of Princess Leia. You know, you're going to have the original Leia. You're going to have Slave Leia. You're going to have Leia on the speeder on Endor. You know, they're going to have multiple. And not that Lorcan is not doing that because we've already seen it with Aurora. where We're on like the fourth Aurora now and like the fifth Maleficent, it seems like. But they're, they're going to have to overlap a lot there. Um, and I don't know, is 
is Star Wars Unlimited doing location cards too? Because that's the only thing Disney Lorcan is not doing that I think will come at some so point. So you, you start the game with a base, and so far all the bases have 30 health, and they provide a symbol okay. that you can use for deck building. However, okay. that can easily be expanded to you know bases with extra health or lower health and special abilities or whatever. So right now we've only seen two. It's very vanilla. They're probably going to be in like the starter decks. But there okay. are technically locations that could be utilized in a game space. Okay, Very cool. And then right. I think well, we'll have my to wait main and reason see. that Disney or the but, two reasons uh, why I think Lorcana is going to just blow Star Wars Unlimited out of the water is number one the art. Um, I have seen uh, quite a few of the cards that have been shown for Star Wars Unlimited, and it's very underwhelming, uh, to say the least, uh, when you compare it to um, some of the stuff we've seen for Larkana. Not not that it's bad art or that it's like cheap, but it just doesn't really seem to hold a candle to what they've been able to get out of Larkana so far, especially um, you look at some of the more detailed Larkana cards, like the Tinkerbell card that we have is one of my favorite pieces of artwork. The Elsa card um, looks amazing. So I think that that in itself... Um, from an aesthetic standpoint and from a collecting standpoint is is going to help Lorcana much more than it will Star Wars Unlimited. And the other thing that Lorcana has that the Star Wars doesn't have is a wide range of princesses. And I know that sounds silly to say, but princesses is in itself a massive, massive area of Disney collecting and of like a fan base. There's only one princess in the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, and there's hundreds of options when it comes to Disney. And so I think that, that that's really going to open it up to other markets that maybe Star Wars wouldn't appeal to. All right, everybody. Well, that is the end of Emerald Inc. Episode 2. Thank you so much for joining us on this marvelous adventure. We want to give a huge shout out to Disney Lorcana Dad. Check him out on Twitter as well as YouTube with all of his amazing content. And please make sure to like and subscribe if you're listening to this on YouTube. If you're following us on Twitter as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, so on and so forth. Please do us a quick favor. Give us a like. Give us a review so that people can know how we're doing and we can help grow the Lorcana cast family. So thank you so much for joining us and we will see everyone on the next episode of Emerald Inc.